How many times do people say, how is it in the future to you when you're talking to them from over the... <laughs> Normally, I'm the idiot who brings it up, to be totally <laughs> honest. And I just go, nothing's changed. It's all still shit. <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> that might be a good intro. It might be, yeah. We could use that. <laughs> Let's roll with that. Here we go. Hey, Everyone is part of the family at this point. It is to be my fan fiction idea that I had. So this movie was garbage. You are a monster beyond all belief. Put them all in the thing and let them do the thing. You know what I mean? How? You're lucky to have me back. (laughs) (laughs) You're never gonna get 60 million people because you're not a Super Bowl. Shut up! So chaotic. Welcome to the Guide to Movies podcast. I am Joe. Sean is also still on vacation. Uh, We'll be back next week. Excited to have him back, but also excited to have our friend Nick back on the podcast today. Nick, how are you? I'm good, Jay. How are you, man? Oh, just wonderful, Nick. (laughs) (laughs) For everyone listening, we are starting a little later than I anticipated because technology (laughs) is not my friend today. So thank you, Nick, for bearing with me there. Uh, more than happy, more than happy, and thank you for having me on. I'm very excited to be back. Back in the show, it's been a couple of years now, so yeah. Has it been it years well now? I think so. It was like 2021, maybe it was the last time I was on. Well, That's you just became the busiest man in Australia, so. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> After our prime minister, yeah, I'm the, yes. I'm the busiest man in Australia. <laughs> Well, I'm excited to have you on. We're talking Blue Beetle today, a couple news stories, uh, and we'll dive into all that fun. Uh, but how have things been? I mean, as we were talking a little bit offline. Nova Stream's kicking off. Your Nick's Flicks is going nuts here. You're doing a million podcasts a month. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's going real well i'm i'm obviously as always very grateful to do what i do i mean i get to watch movies and talk about them all the time which is fantastic so but no stream's going really well we've had a lot of great opportunities uh both pre-strike and currently as well with directors to talk to people about projects which is amazing and with next flicks fix it's just yeah it's going gangbusters i'm glad people are really receptive to the to the short form reviews in, uh, in the video form. And then um, the podcasting has been fun. We, as we were talking offline, I, uh, you know, a couple of podcasts where we marathon movies and we watch international cinema movies. And now I'm starting to read books for movies, uh, which for a movie watching fan like myself, reading words isn't always the easiest thing to do, but I give it a red hot crack. So it's been going great. It's been going great. And obviously I've been following everything you've been doing as well, Joe. And I, I, I do have to say, man, that, that you are very much so a, a sort of guiding light inspiration to, cause you uh, praise a lot of people for the work they do. And I think, I think you deserve the, as equal praise as well, man. So it, it's been, it's been a fun journey. Much appreciated. It, uh, like we talked about a little bit offline, it's it's fun to do, and we want to do it if it isn't fun. You know, if it absolutely, absolutely. So. All right, let's dive in a little bit and talk some movies. We have, you know, we are in this weird time where we have two strikes going on. The writer's strike just passed 100 days, and we are. Uh, I, I think the actor strike is gonna gonna hit that at some point too. I mean, it's yeah. only only it's 35 ish days now. I think um, at time mm-hmm. of recording, so. That, that creates some challenges for the pipeline, but Netflix is pumping out my Astro, and this is the Carrie Mulligan and uh, Bradley Cooper starring uh, film that is going to hit theaters in the U.S. in November before hitting Netflix the following month. And the tagline here is, Maestro is a towering and fearless love story chronicling the lifelong relationship between cultural icon Leonard Bernstein and Felicia, oh my gosh, I'm going to butcher this name. Felicia Montalegra Cone Bernstein. <laughs> Oof. 
Wow. <laughs> Syllables. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lots going on there. Um, a love letter to life and art. Maestro at its core is an emotionally epic portrayal of family and love. Um, this, I remember this being a passion project for uh, Bradley Cooper, and I'm excited to see him back on the big screen. What are your thoughts with this movie? Is this something you're looking forward to? I think, I, oh, I absolutely am just based on the fact that it, Bradley Cooper did a Star is Born. Love that movie and oh, see yeah. what his, you know, follow-up feature could be. But it's funny you bring up the passion project thing because I remember listening uh, to Smartless, the podcast that um, Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and, and, and um, Sean Hayes. Sean Hayes. I was going to yep. say Sean Aston for some reason, but that's a completely <laughs> different Sean. Uh, Sean Hayes do. And they had Bradley Cooper on there and he was talking about he just wrapped filming and the way he was talking about this film and, and the life of Leonard Bernstein, I was like, okay, this is something he really seems to be yeah. clued in on. So just based on the, you know, without even having seen any trailers, that's something that's really drawing me in as someone as passionate as Bradley Cooper and had the work that he's done before this is pretty good. It's a pretty good indication of what could come. Yeah. And this isn't to knock any other actor, I but I feel like I always hear Bradley Cooper talking passionately about the roles that he's taking oh, on. Yeah. And that's exciting. I mean, that like, that just, regardless of what the topic is, what the role is, that just always excites me to see a, an actor stepping into something so 100%. And mm. you mentioned A Star is Born. I remember that movie, my mother is obsessed with the original, not the original, the third, I guess it is, right? One of the, the originals. Fourth. Yeah, one of, one of the originals. <laughs> um, and I remember seeing that in theaters with her, and she was just, I mean, she fell in love with it. It's a fantastic movie, but... Mm it was such a different role for him. And that's something that he does very well. I feel like you could argue he's in his like prestige era. Like he yeah. did the work already. He did, you know, he had the hangover. He had the A team. He had that 2010 sort of thing. Oh <laughs> right. And no one remembers the A team. Um, but then, but now, then you look at him and he's sort of gone from like silver linings playbook sort of started. And now when he's, he's directing, he's, he's, working on scripts with, I think it was Eric Roth who he did Star is Born with. He's in that era now where he's like, I get to choose what I want to do and I'm going to choose to do these things that I really want to talk about. So and I think that, like I said, that's the exciting part, right? Yeah. Is that passion project, whether it turns out good or bad, it's, you, you know, there's something on the screen that's kind of special. So we talked a little bit about this uh, offline, but there is some controversy here with his, the, the prosthetic nose that he mm. has. Um, and of course people are saying that he is, um, uh, basically, uh, the Jewish community is up in arms a little bit about it because of the depiction of a Jewish individual using the prosthetics. But the family of Bernstein has come out and said, like, no, it's fine. Like, we're, we're all on board here. What do you make of all this? It's interesting because I think, I think there's a point where you can sort of nitpick to an absolute nth degree where yeah. it's kind of now, are we looking for things that we want to deem controversy for the sake of it? And, and at the start I was kind of like, Oh, you know, they make a decent point of the fact that is it necessary to the character? Is it necessary to the role? Uh, but then when the family come out and kind of go, Hey, we're okay with this. This is actually, you know, it's what he looks like. He had a he had a nose on him. Like you know, people are born with big noses. It's not an issue, and it's and it's one of those things where I think as well. You're not. It, I, I guess the word I would use is it, it's not making light of a deformity. You know what I mean? Like when yeah. actors, when you know, when actors can really either use prosthetics or manipulate their body to to really exacerbate something that we are trying to normalize uh, in, in you know a 2023 society. It's less of an issue when it is just someone born with a big nose uh, yeah. at the same time. So, yeah. 
I, the quotes uh, from the family, from the kids, his three kids, actually, uh, Jamie Alexander and Nina, is I, by far my favorite part of this story. Um, he So the worry was that this was creating a caricature of Jewish people, but they came yes. out and said, they're touched to the core, quote, this is a quote, to witness the death of Cooper's commitment, his loving embrace of our father's music, and the sheer open-hearted joy he brought to his exploration. It breaks our heart to see any misrepresentations or misunderstandings of his efforts. It happens to be true that Leonard Bernstein had a nice big nose. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. There we yeah. go. And you know what? It probably didn't affect his music in any way, shape, or form, <laughs> right. which is what I'm assuming the movie is going to be about. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm excited for this. Um, yeah. what, what's the, the release timeline for you in Australia here? I know we're always off. We're not in the same timeline. Sun's, it's a little off kilter occasionally. <laughs> you know, Netflix are pretty good. Like the last year when uh, this strikes me as very similar to the Glass Onion release last year. Mm-hmm. It's a cinema, cinema release a little bit earlier. I'm hoping they're not talking about the one week thing again because i think that actually kind of killed glass onion a little bit mm-hmm. that just one week showing uh as far as i'm aware we're same cinema release and then same netflix release so we'll look at see it at go. the same time which is lovely very good well that's not the case here for blue beetle which is our big movie to talk about this week i know i know i know, I know. It, it was lucky this worked out but yeah unfortunately australia aren't getting blue beetle till uh september 14th we're still a couple yeah. weeks off these uh, the international release dates are very mm-hmm. interesting to me, and I, I know that there's there's market you know forces behind it, and there's certainly um, reasons why they do this. But it always just fascinates me when we were talking about doing this podcast, and you were mm-hmm. like, "Wait, I need to figure out if I could talk about yeah. it." <laughs> I had to ask Warner Brothers in Australia if I could actually if I could legally come onto this episode and then yeah. talk about this with you. <laughs> the guy at the movies podcast is very known for uh, you know bucking up against studios <laughs> and challenging. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all for it. I'm a big fan of it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, let's talk about Blue Beetle here. This yeah. is the second to last DCEU film with uh, Aquaman and the Lost the Lost Kingdom coming out in yeah. December, theoretically, we we hope. Um, but yeah, right. But this is the Blue Beetle. This is also the first character that is being tapped for the new DCU under James Gunn and Peter Safran. This stole uh, this stars Zolo Merduena, uh, Bruno Mar- uh, Marquezine. I'm gonna butcher some names here, and I, I'm terrible with this. Um, George Lopez, uh, Belissa Escovedo, and a whole host of others. Susan Sarandon in her uh, badass girl boss role. Um, let's talk about how this, how we felt about this. I, I saw it the mm. other night. Um, yeah. And I actually, I had a good time with it. It reminded me of Shazam. The, the yes. family feels Shazam, but obviously we have a Latino family here. We have some major stars in this who are from Shoot. Mexican cinema, mm-hmm. uh, which is just, I, I love that. I mean, like that, that just infuses it with something, with some energy that uh, I, I think, and authenticity, I should say, mm-hmm. um, that we're not used to in these films, which I think oh, Blue Beetle yeah. has going for it. Um, had a great time with it, Nick. I mean, the, Zolo is fantastic in this role, in my opinion. And mm-hmm. he's the one that I'm excited to see in the future if they, you know, the movie is what it is. It's cookie cutter in a lot of ways. I think um, the it's a corporation after a power and he gets involved, you know, in the middle of it. We've seen this before, but it's okay to me because they did it so well. And it was just a, a charming reminder of what fun superhero movies could be. I I agree with what you said about the Shazam thing and and from what I'm seeing like sort of discourse wise on on the internet it's like that Shazam mixed with Spider-Man a little bit it's like I think the one thing I really like about this film and like you're saying is Sholo himself he is 
injecting so much life and energy into this character, not just comedically as well, because he's pretty damn funny. Like yeah. he has a, his quips really remind me of Spider-Man. That's kind of, you know, uh, the, the, the parallel to draw there, but there's an energy to his performance even dramatically and even as Blue Beetle that I think is something the DCU really needs to kick off, like it, to be a, a draw for people who have kind of been potentially burned by the DCEU before. Mm. Um, and that's and that's what I loved most about the film is just how energetic it definitely started off uh, as. And the representation of this film is fantastic. Like the cast, it's, obviously the cast itself is a, is a fantastic representation of, um, but the director himself, uh, Angel Manuel Soto as well, uh, I, 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 the reason I got to see the film is because I was lucky enough to chat to him a few weeks ago uh, about the film, and he was so passionate about bringing his culture into this fictional universe, right? And, and it was a big part of the reason he wanted to do it is to show culture and community on screen that we haven't seen, especially in the superhero genre yeah. before. And I think that comes through. And, that, and then that mix of Shola's energy is just part of the reason the movie is is a lot of fun. Um, it did lose me a little bit as it went, like when you talk about that cookie cutter sort of plot did lose me as the film went on. I think it lost a little bit of that energy as it got towards the end. It kind of, for me, the way I was explaining is like kind of turned into a bit of a CW TV show sort that, of thing. I kept saying this has a Smallville feel. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> but then it's so funny because then after I was like saying that to like when people were like, oh, what would you think? I was like, isn't that kind of what we've been asking for though? At the same time, yeah. we're sick of like, galaxy ending world ending stories because we've seen it a million times like the small scale is actually not too bad so i'm excited to actually re-watch it again when it comes out because i've only seen it the once to see if i feel any different about it um and the other thing that i loved is the family aspect which is obviously hu uh, culturally huge but it, it's kind of nice to see a, a superhero who needs his family both as you know as jaime reyes and as blue beetle as well and uh, i think that was pretty refreshing well, and Jaime's father says it a lot in this movie. There's a, I think it's probably the most repeated line, if I'm remembering correctly, but it's essentially, we'll get through this. We'll figure this out. And exactly. that I, I loved because it was just a family being like, all right, this is really strange what we're dealing with here. We're going to figure it out like anything else. And George Lopez kept going, what? <laughs> He's great in the film. He's really funny in the movie. He's fantastic. You know, like I, I was worried that they were going to go a little overboard with his humor, but mm. everything he said hit. Yeah. <laughs> it was so I, funny. I want to know how much was improvised as well, because I think there's a good portion of him just spouting out lines that would, <laughs> yeah. when they hit in the film, I was like, you can't script that. Like, that's right. funny. Like, that's really, <laughs> really off the cuff funny. So no, he was great. Well, I love the, I mean, the grandma as well. I mean, yeah. they showed in the trailer, but her picking up that giant gun and absolutely blowing people apart. I, it got a good reaction out of us in the, in the cinema. Well, and a little bit of a spoiler, but when you see her walking, I mean, first of all, let's talk about this because I'm going to start straying a little bit. But a yeah. lot of the stuff in this movie is practical. So not only yeah. the suit, aside from, of course, the the when the mask goes on, but where they filmed, they filmed at this old, you know, uh, this old uh, fortress, if you will, yeah. in Puerto Rico. Uh, and I... That's just absolutely awesome. And there's a scene in this where she's walking with, she like turns a corner or whatever, and she has the gun <laughs> and she's going crazy. Uh, and that like was just so, so much fun. And so uh, simplistic in a lot of ways. Uh, yeah. And I, I miss that. And I compare this a lot to right Maybe it's not right, but the, the first Iron Man um, mm. felt, this felt like that in a lot of ways where it was an obscure character that they plucked out to start, you know, the MCU, but it was a very basic story at that time. And that's Absolutely. what I really enjoyed here. There's references to Superman, the Flash, and Batman. 
but they're not shoehorned in. We're not forcing any connections. And that was very, very comforting in watching just a story about the characters. And we lose that so much in these superhero movies where we're trying to set up the next thing or reference the last thing. In this, uh, Angel just focused on the characters. And that, I think, is what makes this sing. Absolutely. And I think, and without going too far in spoiler territory as well, what it's going to connect to later on still feels pretty centric to blue beetle and i like that as well i think i think it's kind of like you said what we've been seeing for since 2008 when iron man came out it's that feeling that superheroes can exist in their own world it doesn't have to be the world but you know there's a lot of shit going on in Jaime Reyes's life and he's got to sort it out. He's a college graduate. He's trying to get a job. And that's a big part of the first half of the movie. And it's his family being like, you know, you're the first college graduate in our family. They're celebrating that. And it's nice. It's these beautiful moments. And his life just happens to get upended when he becomes a superhero. But he's still that same 20-year-old kid deep down inside. And I think that's where the movie's strengths really lie. The uh, I forget who said it, but when they're like, "Congrats on the six-figure uh, debt or whatever," I was <laughs> yeah, like, "Oh, my law school loans felt that." I feel I, like a lot of people probably felt that. <laughs> and they, you mean not even a superhero can save me from that? What the- <laughs> no, just and let's talk about Susan Sarandon a little bit here. And mm. my camera's going a little crazy. Apologies, but. <laughs> Um, Susan Sarandon, you know, I, who was the original? Do you remember there was another actress that was on board to play? No, I have no idea, actually. No. I'll look that up as we're talking. But she, yeah. um, I enjoyed her here. It's, again, a very cookie cutter role, I think. Mm. Um, some of her lines as well were very generic. And like, uh, <laughs> yeah. I've been searching for this my entire life. I'm like, okay. <laughs> um, but I actually enjoyed her. And I don't know if it's mm. uh, uh, the fact that she has been a staple of cinema for so long for me. Uh, yep. She's such an iconic actress that yeah, yeah. just throwing her in here, I actually really enjoyed, you know, the role that she played. I I'm gonna I'm gonna have to be on the other side of the coin on that one. Oh I, no! I'm sorry. I feel like she was miscast. I just it, it, when you were saying about some of the some of those lines of dialogue, it wasn't necessarily what she was saying. I feel like it was kind of how she was saying it. And it to me, firstly, I completely forgot she was in the movie. Like when she popped up as the villain, <laughs> and I'd seen the trailers of Blue Beetle. Like I knew she was supposed to be in it, but when she popped up, I was like, oh shit, that's Susan Sarandon. I was like, okay, let's see what she brings. And I kind of just felt like she was being Susan Sarandon, which, by the way, compared to maybe everyday normal people, is brilliant. Like, Susan Sarandon is fantastic. But I just, I don't know. And perhaps it was the other villain that, of the film that she's kind of working alongside. I had issues with that as well. And I think maybe just the combination of two things happening in those moments sure. probably took me out a little bit. Um, and I, I, I just, I do think the villains probably are the weakest aspect of, of the film. Um, but like that. we were saying before, there's so much focus on Jaime and Blue Beetle himself. That, like that is the center of the film. It didn't take away completely from me. And, that, and that's the thing, like, I feel like I've said probably a couple of negative things here. I still get, will give this movie a positive review when it comes out because I did enjoy it. Um, and I think it's a right step for what, you know, hopefully what we can see in the DCU. But yeah, Susan Sarandon, unfortunately, is one of those things for me where I was like, I don't know how much I love, I love her in this. You know, it's funny you're saying that because I'm thinking about mm. it and it, it does seem like it very much, they have to have a villain, right? And Totally, yeah. yeah. You don't you don't want to take away from the focus of the family and the development of Zolo, um, but um, 
yeah, I, it's it's funny because it does. It's not an afterthought. It's just again cookie cutter and underdeveloped. Yeah, um, yeah. which Under, underdeveloped to me was the the main word. I think yeah, that was the just not not saying you have to sympathize or, or or empathize or try and connect to every villain on screen, but if you kind of get a little bit more of understanding why they're doing what they're doing. And my example I always go to is is Michael Keaton as Vulture in Homecoming. Oh yeah. You, you get why he's doing what he's doing from the very first scene of that movie. So even when he's doing all the evil stuff, you kind of go, I get why you're doing it. Like this is, you've been forced to do this. Whereas like rich, rich white lady needs to find old ancient thing to turn <laughs> people into super soldiers. I'm like, all right, female Trump. All right, whatever. Like, okay. <laughs> I, get, I get it. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Very true. The one thing, sometimes I think this impacts me as well when I'm reviewing these films is just, you know, we, we probably, you and I are similar in that we consume a lot of the behind the scenes stuff. We, we totally. talk with these filmmakers mm. and Soto has been very, open about the the guidance that Susan Sarandon had given on set um, and that she was very helpful, has been helpful with him, especially in navigating how to promote the film without the stars being able to do so. Yeah. Um, but she's, it sounded like she was a very um, motherly, if you will, uh, force on the set. And the, the actor who played Carapax as well said the same thing, that she was just very playful and down to earth um, and helped him develop that character a little bit more, even though I think the character needed a little bit more work. But, um, I, you know, that's stuff I love to hear. And especially when, you know, she's stepping into a film that's all about representation and Soto delivering, you know, the first of what he hopes to be two or three or four, you know, Blue Beetle movies. Really, yeah. Um, it's really great from a veteran actress. So, you know, regardless of her role itself, um, I think that's, that's probably the more important role. You can't hate Susan Sarandon. You don't don't hate the player, hate the game. That's that's I think that's what we're gonna take from this. Is and and it's I, I think as well, Soto doing this whole press tour by himself, like literally by himself. Yeah, it's nice to know that he's got that that support there and all those videos. And I, and I think he uploaded one to Instagram recently when he told Shola he was blue beetle and you just see that pure emotion of it wasn't like hey man you're in a huge multi-million dollar wbdc movie he's like you're the first latino superhero and that's cool man that's really freaking yeah. cool so yeah. and I, I think you I, I think you feel that energy on screen like like outside of everything the movie's about you feel how much everyone behind the scenes cared about it yeah, it's it's funny because even with the cookie cutter stuff, I was able mm. like sitting there. I'm like, oh yeah, that's fine. Push that aside because this is just totally. a lot of fun. I'm having a totally. great time with this movie. The carrot. It's it reminded me of Amon Valani being cast in Miss Marvel. Mm. Yes, yes, and Sasha Kale for Supergirl. Right when you yes. think about that and like how important that was. Yeah, and and it's incredible, incredible. And it it that feeling you don't feel like it's like three people standing in front of a green screen for the 400th day in a row being right. like, what the fuck are we doing here? <laughs> like, yeah, you know, that, like you said, the filming practically and being on those, those locations and with the practical suit, it just adds this vibrancy that we have been missing from a lot of superhero movies yeah. for a while now. Like I definitely feel like I was getting superhero fatigue for a bit there. And we watch, we watch a lot of movies. So that mm. we've got a threshold, we've got a tolerance. <laughs> and there was a point where I was like, Oh, do I want to watch another superhero? Mm -hmm. And Blue Beetle to me, I was like, okay, I feel like we're going in a, in a good direction. Here. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I'm someone, maybe wrongfully so, I trust James Gunn a little bit. I think he's a solid filmmaker. And I'm yeah. really interested to see how he how he crafts this new DCU. And so the fact that he came out right away and was like, no, Blue Beetle is part of our blueprint. 
you know, I, I, that's that's exciting to me because I think he sees the value of the character. He sees how great Zola was in this, how great Soto's vision was in delivering this film. And regardless of how the film does at the box office, I, I think I tweeted this last night. You know, uh, to yeah. me, it's a success. It's, yeah. you know, they didn't, it's not going to, it's going to be in the U.S. I think it's going to be about 25 million, 30, 30 million, whatever. Still pretty solid for a Blue Beetle film where it's a mm -hmm. character who many people don't know about. Um, yeah. But I think that what we're going to get from Blue Beetle down the road and what the, the blueprint that they've laid here for the character uh, and the representation that we're getting through this film is going to speak volumes in the future. Absolutely. No, can't say it any better. <laughs> All right. Well, um, I, I, I'm, I'm wondering mm. if you're a big video game guy because the one thing about this that I did enjoy is in my brief foray into Injustice 2, which is one of the yeah. big DC games, it's basically Mortal Kombat with DC characters. Yeah. Um, we got a lot of Blue Beetle uh, action in this film that was based on the moves uh, of the video game. Nice. That's a fun little Easter egg to throw. Oh, oh, multiple Easter eggs to throw in there, right? That's for that's for your that's your deep cut fans <laughs> right there. Yeah, so that's pretty. Uh, it's kind of cool because it, it, to yeah. me that shows that Soto has a really good understanding of the character and how he's appeared in you know whether it was smallville back in the day or injustice or popping up in um young justice or all these mm. things so i'm excited i'm excited to see where this character goes yeah same here I, and look if this is the start of the new or like you know the we're dabbling into what this new dcu is going to be i'm happy to be signed for same as same as like you were saying james gunn i i'm willing to give the benefit of the doubt because i've liked enough of his movies so we'll see what he can do with our with a whole damn cinematic universe I was talking to a friend last night, and he was expressing some concern over James Gunn taking on the DCU. Right. This is this is how nerdy I am. This is what I'm talking about <laughs> on a Saturday evening. Um, but he he was expressing concern because he basically said that he feels as though James Gunn's approach to these superhero movies is very nuanced, and there's a lot of crass mm -hmm. jokes in there. And you know, with Suicide Squad, with Peacemaker, what we've seen, um, even Guardians, you know, it's not yeah. the the most dynamic dialogue and stuff that we get. Are we going to continue to see that? And my pushback was he's not directing every movie. He's not writing every movie. Of course, he's yeah. launching with Superman. But then he also brought up Superman, bringing in a number of obscure characters into this film. Yeah. yeah. Uh, is that a concern of yours with James Gunn taking over? Not a concern for me personally, because I, you know, like I go back and I'm like, I love Slither. I love Super. Like, I love his... <laughs> most fucked up movies like i think slither, they're great oh my gosh slither man like and i only watched that for the first time before suicide the suicide squad came out and i was like oh if we're getting anything like this in the suicide squad we're in for a treat and the body horror <laughs> aspects of guardians 3 is kind of a, a, a love letter to that almost but i i can understand the concern from a general audience point of view if you have a if, if you have a very like you said, nuanced, whole cinematic universe that is necessarily, isn't necessarily as palatable as, you know, with the blueprint, which is now the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, it'll be interesting. And I think what he's picked out, you know, he he's doing Brave and the Bold for Batman. He wants to do a Swamp Thing movie, which to me is already like, oh, you're going into those more body horror elements. I can understand where people, there, there's probably a lot of people out there who's like, I want the cookie cutter. I want the, what I have enjoyed for the last 20 years, but I'm hoping that people will at least give it a chance to be like, Oh, we can tell superhero stories in a different way. And I do think right. a good example of that is the Batman from last year. 
is that that's not a superhero movie. That's a three hour detective film that just happens to be about a man who wears a suit. And yeah. It's a Bruce Wayne story. <laughs> it's a Bruce Wayne story. Right. So, and it, it was successful at the box office, critically successful audiences loved it. Let's give that a chance to this new DCU and try something a little bit different. And you know what? In the early days, people seem to forget that the early MCU films weren't as critically loved. Oh yeah. Captain America and Thor are loved now, but they weren't when they came out. Give it some breathing room, give it some time, let a couple of films happen, find the footing. Uh, and if we get to see some weird and cool shit in that first phase, I'm all for it. Sign me up. Man, Man Gold's Swamp Thing movie, I'm in. Dude. Oh my gosh. I'm, I'm so far in. I'm right there. I'll fly to Australia <laughs> to see that with you. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> they, uh, you know, it's funny because when they first said that it was chap- uh, the first set of films and set of projects is chapter one, Gods and Monsters, I was like, oh boy, we're going to go a little nuts here. <laughs> Right out of the gate. Right out of the gate. <laughs> all for it. All for it. Very excited for it. Um, so we'll we'll see how we'll see how that all shakes out. See how it goes. <laughs> all right. Um, no easy segue to this one, but let's talk about Snow White and the controversy around Snow White. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> All right, so Rachel Zegler uh, of West Side Story and Shazam, Fury of the Gods, is um, stepping up into the role of Snow White in a live-action remake of 1937's Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. This movie's already, from the beginning, from the launch, has gotten a lot of interesting press. Number one, because she's a Latina actress in a lead role, something that doesn't bother me whatsoever. Um, it's similar to Halle Bailey being, uh, you know, cast in Little Mermaid. Totally, yeah. And I mean, and look how fucking great she was in that, to be honest. Like, you know what I mean? like, yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, and then we have, um, the original, obviously seven dwarfs. We had, uh, dwarfs in the source material and mm-hmm. the terminology has changed over the years. Uh, but non little people are being cast in this film and they're like magical creatures or whatever they're referring to them as mm. what, what has happened recently is twofold. One is Rachel Zegler has come out in a lot of interviews and uh, Disney's PR people need to get a, a handle on her here. <laughs> I, I enjoy her as an actress, but totally. She's on well, she was on these red carpets prior to the strike and stuff, saying, like, well, the original movie's creepy, and the fact that the prince was stalking uh, you know, Snow White and blah 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 blah, and all that. So she's really kind of crapping on this movie, which is not mm. you know, I, I think something you want to do number one when you're uh, about to release a live action remake of the original mm. film, two, when it's as beloved as it was or is, and three, uh, well. I'm going to go three, four here. Three, when it was, what, Disney's first Oscar, I believe? I'm thinking back to the... I think so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Remember that? Because it was their first, like, animated movie, like, the uh, first full-color animated movie, yeah. And, it, I mean, like, that holds... There's a lot of value in this property. Mm. And then four, the fact that you're you're going up against Disney adults and Disney people. I mean, you're never going to win against Disney. It's a a losing battle. It's a losing (laughs) battle, yeah. Um, But what has to (laughs) say... I just, I just got it. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> oh man, U.S. politics. That's something. <laughs> the other day, he said he wanted to put this behind him, the whole Disney thing, and then Disney I filed. Saw that, yeah. Disney filed a new motion in court right after that. I was like, get him. Um, anyway, that's following him to the grave. That's great. Yes. Yeah, briefly so. That was a really dumb move on his part. Was, anyway, yeah. so David Hand, who is the son of the director from the original movie, um, who. <laughs> This article I'm reading also says, also named David Hahn, or Hand, um, 
he came out and he criticized this film as well and said it was basically insulting. He said, quote, it's a whole different concept and I just totally disagree with it. And I know my dad and Walt would also very much disagree with it. It's a disgrace that the studio is trying to do something new with something that was such a great success earlier. Their thoughts are just so radical now. They change the stories. They change the thought process of the characters. They're making up new woke things and I'm just not into any of that. I find it quite... Uh, quite frankly, a bit insulting what they have done with some of these classic films. Listen, I so I go back and forth here because yeah. some stuff I'm like, you you don't want to touch. Oh, uh, this is the whole live action debate. Honestly, um, you don't want to touch a lot of the originals. They're you know they worked in animation. They are a snapshot, uh, a capsule in time. Um, but I also understand wanting to take old stories that lived that were presented in a society that was you know had very different thoughts and very different mm-hmm. um you know boundaries at that point um and and see how you can present it in a modern way and i i, I that's why i lean towards uh understanding where filmmakers are going when they're like tackling these and where disney's going with with this film although i will say this one seems like there's so many changes i don't even understand how they're going to kind of stick to the original concept yeah, it's it's interesting because like obviously his argu- like his argument begins when you're like, no, I get that. You want to keep some integrity to the original story. Like you said, it's beloved. There's there's a reason that the story has withheld the test of time. And it's I think a lot more people now understand it's a fairy tale love story. Yes, uh, you shouldn't creepily follow women around, especially women who are in slumbers, uh, to fall in love with them because that is creepy. That is creepy. But this is a fairy tale, and it's a it's a very heightened representation and of love. And but then he sort of he goes down a little bit, and he's like, "It's woke, it's woke, it's woke." And you're yeah. like, "Okay, okay, cool." So. I don't know if you know this, man, but we live in a different time now. We live in a much more self-aware and a lot more progressive time where we kind of want to see new stories and new takes on things. And my argument always, especially in a Disney space, of why we don't want to see direct adaptations is because you'll get things like The Lion King, which looks like a National, a National Geographic documentary of a movie I loved growing up. Yeah. and takes all the heart and soul away from it. Now, I'm the same as you. I have no idea what this new adaptation is going to be like, and I, I can't say I'm a uh, diehard fan of Snow White. I, I, like, I didn't grow up as a Disney kid. I, I've seen the animated films, but I didn't grow up watching them, uh, and it was similar with Little Mermaid this year. Like, I had no connection to the animated film, so to me, going into this is almost like brand, I'm seeing it with brand new eyes. Like, I don't sure. know what to expect out of, out of Snow White. Um, but there's a, there's a part of me that is excited if they can bring something new to the story to make it not, not just modern and updated for a 2023 audience, but add new elements to the story that, you know, are engaging and, and maybe more exciting from an audience than just a traditional fairy tale love story, I guess. So, but it's, I think it's just a, a wait and see game, right? At the moment. Well, you know, Nick, we were talking about cookie cutter when it comes to Blue Beetle and superhero movies. Mm. And many of the old Disney movies do follow the same storyline. It's the right. damsel in distress and, you know, the prince coming in and all that. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm all it's I mean, it's he probably wouldn't like Barbie either. Let's be real. Um, <laughs> what they did with Barbie. Um, but it was I, it what was the saying? Go woke, go broke, and then make a billion dollars at the box office. Is that yeah. how that's how that works, right? Yeah, what I need to, <laughs> yeah, no, please, please. <laughs> I have to ask a question. So, yeah. I mean, 
I always find it fascinating talking to someone that's outside of the United States and seeing mm. the bullshit that we've been through with, yeah. you know, all this, this the crap. Is this whole like woke conversation, woke battle, something that you're seeing in Australia? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I don't think it's as uh, the thing with Australians and social media is that we don't care about it that much. We use it, but we, I think Australia has a great understanding of like those who are just constantly putting stuff on social, which is, I'm about to say something incredibly ironic considering half of the shit I do is now put on social media in the form of movie <laughs> reviews. But Australia, I think, have a very good self-awareness of like everything that's put on the internet is usually just stuff we don't really get. Like it's just yeah. opinion spouting for the sake of opinion spouting. Um, so I think we're really good at shutting off from being like, okay, that person actually is just kind of insane. This person might have a good point you know we get we get hostile we you know we throw thongs at each other a thong thong is a sandal by the way so we don't actually take a <laughs> underwear off and throw at each other i realize i'll probably have to uh <laughs> break oh, it down for an international audience um <laughs> but, <laughs> but we, we we just we kind of have a bit more of a uh Social media, whatever someone says on that isn't viable. But we definitely have the the, the anti-woke uh, crowd in Australia, absolutely. Um, and it's reflected in our politics uh, quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, but we, we have a bit of a, a water off a duck's back attitude. Yeah, we, we, we just soldier on and do what we need to do. It's just so interesting to me. Uh, it is, yeah. Such a weaponized... Uh, <sighs> much ado about nothing <laughs> in a lot it of ways. really it really is it really is and it's not go won't go broke it's if you make an average movie you'll probably go broke we'll just make good movies instead how about that like barbie yeah like, like barbie. <laughs> like barbie. <laughs> all right well speaking of going broke uh well, let's talk about the blind side a little bit <laughs> that's this from going for, like not having a segue to the last story that was that was a 10 out of 10. That was thank you, fantastic. Thank you. Pride myself on these. Um, anyway, so uh, for those who aren't familiar here, the um, so the movie The Blind Side, which won Central Bullock her Oscar, uh, was based on a book called The Blind Side Evolution of the Game. And what has been happening over the past week or so is that Michael Orr, who is the focus of the film, he's who the film was, uh, the, the story, the, the life story was based, um, was based on the Jesus, my gosh, can't can't even pronounce this. The film was based on the life story of Michael R. Um, he uh, came out and basically he filed a lawsuit claiming that he didn't receive any royalties or any of that sort from uh, the Tui family who um, had, quote unquote, adopted him back in the day. There's a lot of issues here with. Uh, so like from my, putting my lawyer hat on, he was 18 yeah. years old. So I don't know that he was adopted. It was a conservatorship in that point, which is, you know, legal mumbo jumbo and some uh, details that just make it a little bit different there. Hmm. But he basically is now saying that he wasn't adopted and he didn't receive any of the royalties from the film. They fought back or fired back, I should say, the Tui family and said that they were um, approached by Orr, who asked for $15 million prior to this lawsuit being filed. So, of course, you know, public opinion or I guess the, the public space, we're seeing a lot of that uh, battle here for public opinion, I should say. The author of the book, Michael Lewis, recently came out and said um, that uh, uh basically that they didn't receive he as the author didn't receive much from the movie itself he received i think two hundred fifty thousand dollars that was split with the twoies uh for the rights to the story of the blind side he also claimed that or uh did not um he opted out of receiving royalties for the film 
which is very interesting to me. Right. So, and, and even those royalties that we're talking about, I think they each, uh, the family, I think, got $350,000, which in Hollywood budgeting is not a lot of money. Oh, uh, yeah, it's not at all. Not at all, especially for a movie that did so well. Mm. Um, and that the Tuies are also apparently putting money into a, and this is the claim from the author, putting um, the money into a trust fund for Orr's son. So it's it's a very dirty thing here. Yeah, um, you a know, lot of go- there's a lot going on. Yeah, a whole lot going on, and we'll have to see how that all shakes out. But I think the more interesting discussion that's come up in the film space is Sandra Bullock won an Oscar for this movie, and there's a lot of pushback now where people are saying she should give up her Oscar. What yeah. do you make of this? It's interesting because it's all about to me time, right? Back in what was it, 2009? The movie came out, right, yeah. or some, somewhere around then. Everyone's under the impression that this is a, a family who only had the best intentions for for Michael and the movie that was made served as a, an incredibly inspiring tale. Sure, retrospectively, there were the people who's, who, you know, go the white savior narrative and things like that. These are all things that, you know, probably I wasn't as much on the internet back in, t- in 2009, but, you know, things that may have come up then that are more prevalent now as well. And then I think the big buzzword here is conservatorship, right? Which I think a lot of people these days really sort of associate with the Britney Spears uh, drama, right? And, and they point. see, they see what has come of that or, you know, the decades long issues that have stemmed from that as well in regards to whether they believe, you know, what was done to Britney was right. What was done to Britney was wrong. How it's affected her now, blah, blah, blah. And I think a lot of people, take that word and go like, Oh, so they did the same thing. They were holding him back and, you know, they were, they were emotionally abusive and things like that. I think there's a sort of negative connotation to it, which I think a lot of the backlash may have come from. And then rounding back to the point about Sandra Bullock, I think that is where a lot of that, I guess you could call it anger. I think you could call it anger, I guess, uh, towards the fact that Sandra Bullock has an Oscar for portraying this woman that may have potentially done what they believe to be awful things to Michael. It's kind of one of those things where I'm like, well, we only know about it now. Mm. You can't really hate someone for doing it uh, back then. And, and this is, a, this is probably a very outlandishly wild example, but I'm, I won't lie. It's one 30 in the morning where I'm at. Uh, <laughs> the brain could be anywhere. You imagine, imagine someone made a movie 15 years ago about Harvey Weinstein and how he's a fantastic Hollywood producer and he, and he's made any, any sure. battle to get these Oscars and stuff. And you get a beloved actor playing, say Robert De Niro. Like I'm not going to throw it on too under the bus, but you get De Niro to play Harvey Weinstein, and he wins an Academy Award for playing the world's best movie producer. And then the Me Too saga happens, and you go, "Holy shit, Robert De Niro is a sackish. He should never have done that. We won his Oscar. We didn't know what Harvey was doing 15 years ago. Right? You know what I mean? Like, and you can't fault someone for doing something back then where there was where there was the most innocent sense of ignorance. Yeah. Uh, I think Sandra Bullock's in the same, albeit that's a very scaled down version. <laughs> Sandra Bullock's sort of in the same, same boat here is that she is, she was rewarded for something she did in a time where, where everyone was probably ignorant to something that may have been happening. Uh, and you can't fault her for that. And I don't, and then also say that giving back an Oscar is not going to change the the situation you know what yeah. i mean and, and and i think it's personally up to sandra Bullock. whatever the outcome of the actual real life case is 
that's up to Sandra Bullock to to yeah. decide in in all honesty. So yeah. Yeah, it's a little bit, it's messy. And there's totally. obviously a lot of public posturing going on right now. And it, it is in the courts. So we'll see yeah. something come out of that. But um, it just, I, I don't know. I, I, I feel for everyone involved and hope oh, that there God, wasn't yeah. any wrongdoing, you know? Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> well, uh, there are two fun stories to tackle today. There Snow go, White yeah. and the blind side. <laughs> Welcome to the Guy at the Movies podcast. <laughs> It's good to be back. <laughs> yeah, it's good to be back after two years. Uh, Nick, so looking at the rest of the year here, um, what films are you looking forward to? What's what's kind of on the horizon for you in terms of the most anticipated? Whatever's coming out. No, um, <laughs> <laughs> whatever doesn't get shifted uh, release date-wise. True, true. At the moment. No, look, I, I'd be lying if I didn't say I wasn't excited for June uh, 2. I, I, I'm one of the, I think, one of the, like, two percent of people in the world who thought the first one was good but not okay. great i i'm a big i'm a big uh anti part one part two storytelling person like if a I'm story doesn't get fully finished yeah I, i'm kind of like i do get frustrated but i i think denis villeneuve has in my eyes one of the greatest cinematic eyes uh yeah. for for like a modern blockbuster that is actually also quite an engaging story so i'm very 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 excited for that one outside of that i can't say there's too much like i was i was initially yeah. excited for challenges and then that that got mm. moved unfortunately uh maestro is definitely one um oh actually the the killer uh, david finch's movie oh yes 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 I, i'm yeah. excited to see him come come back and obviously see fassbender back as well so yeah. but a lot of my most anticipated had already come out oh look i'll throw this one in because it's a guilty pleasure Sorex. i'm a unapologetic actually i think you can literally see right behind me there is the whole saw i can't believe i just did that that was great the whole saw nice. franchise right there so uh it's will it be terrible god yeah absolutely will i be the first person to see it opening day absolutely so this I is why wait. we this is why we are friends because i am right there with yes. you i cannot wait for solex i'm so excited yeah. what did you think of that trailer did you love the trailer i actually did love the trailer i was it's like so oh i see what they're doing here and everyone there's people that are you know complaining about the fact that they're playing with time again and they're going back but it makes sense I, i'm into that <laughs> i i have spent enough time watching these movies that i am very confident in understanding where every movie takes yep. place how it all inter- intertwines with each other. I'll never forget seeing Saw 4 for the first time oh, yeah. and the reveal at the end that is taking place at the same time as Saw 2. I was like, no way. They, they're madmen. They did it and they pull it off. I just, there's just one shot in the Saw X trailer and it's where the camera's latched onto the back of Billy the Puppet's bicycle with all the surgical equipment. Yeah. And it's just, to me, I was just like, they're finding ways to actually innovate. It's not just a schlocky, let's put the camera here where we can see a wide shot of blood and yep. gore and guts. Like there seems a bit more stylized nature to this one. And that makes me so bloody keen. You know, it's funny because it felt like I, uh, part of it was, oh, we're back. Here's Billy the Puppet. We're back to Saul. Right. Like that's what I love about Saul. And then you're right. So, there was a certain style to this that said we're in 2023 and they're not just making another sequel here. They're going to play with it a little bit and make it a little so, bit more yeah, exciting. And I, yeah. I don't know. I, and just Tobin Bell being back. I'm so excited to I see know. him back. Did oh. you like Spiral? I actually did like Spiral. Um, so did I. Yeah, I, I, I was surprised I that I did. Didn't I get why people didn't? But for me, because it, it was just a fresh take on the Saw franchise, yeah. like, and that's for me was enough. And I thought Chris Rock actually was pretty pretty good in it as well. So 
I've always been one of those people that explains to like, it's the first thing with Saul. Everyone always says, Oh, torture porn. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, Yeah, but it has a good story. And oh, when like, I say wait till you see how they link it all together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. wait till you see the end of Saul 4. I think I was one of those people in the theater who was like, What? Like, you know, like, go crazy. He's like, Yeah, are you all watching this? Are you yeah. understand what's going on? And but then I always see the people have left because it was torture porn. Right? Yeah, but I always feel crazy trying to explain like there is a really good moral story mm. at the core of Saul. It's just that the series has taken on you know all the tropes oh. of a, a long horror series where it's easy to make, they're cheap to make, and they can pump yeah. them out very quickly. So that's why we're now on Saw Ten. <laughs> Saw Ten. I never, you know what? If you asked fourteen-year-old Nick, you know, mm. over a decade ago, over fifteen years ago, that there was going to be ten Saw movies, he wouldn't have believed you but here here we are but you're right there is a there is a moral it's weird to say that this movie that has had nine films of some of the most disgusting blood (laughs) gore and traps has this really odd moral center about if you're a shit person if you're like a really bad person really bad things can happen to you (laughs) like you will not get away with it that's yeah it's it. It. it's it's very true uh it's oh my gosh i i'm glad you brought that up and the fact that they in the states they moved it to september which to so me, they moved it up here as well yeah yeah so we i think they mandate. i think they have quality and they might be taking uh, taking advantage of the fact that there's you know a changing landscape of film releases due to the strikes but yeah. they're releasing it a month before halloween and i think that says something i think so too i think they i think they are confident in it and i think as well that you have to i have to be realistic about the aspect that we have exorcist believer coming out in october we have five nights at freddy's which is currently yeah, true. probably trying to do reasonably well like there is a big fan base of people excited for that movie despite it being day and day peacock as well that sword mm. even though it's a long-running franchise you are battling two movies and i do think that even though people may have felt burnt by the halloween uh david gordon green's halloween trilogy there's a bit of eagerness to see what he could do with the exorcist, which mm-hmm. I think also with the obviously sad passing of William Friedkin probably will even draw more people in. Not saying that, you know, death should be used as a marketing tactic, but it yeah. is just inevitable that people are curious, right? Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. So I'm happy this whole day's moved. <sighs> Five Nights at Freddy's though. That's going to be interesting to see how that does because yeah. Willy's Wonderland did it first in, in movies. <laughs> yeah, he did. And I know, I know Parsons is a, is a, is a friend yes, of the show. Right. As well, um, so and I, I mean, how can you not do it without Nicolas Cage? That's the thing. I, right. I get the game. I've, I think I've played it like once or twice, and I get there's a massive fan base for it. But how do you not be Willy Willy Wonderland? Willy yeah, it, yeah, that's where I'm at. I'm interested to see what they do with it, and I think it's an exciting concept. I just, I, I would be as a filmmaker if I was a filmmaker struggling with how do I make this look different than Willy's Wonderland yep. since that came out. It's going to beg totally. comparisons and. You know, and Willie's it's a PG thirteen too. That's true. That's a good point. So there was a rumor that it was three hours long. Did you see that rumor? No, I didn't. But that's great. <laughs> it's probably not true, but <laughs> I, I can't not. imagine a three hour version of Willy's Wonderland or Five Nights at Freddy's. It's true. Like that's <laughs> horror movies seem to clock in in an hour and forty five and call it like that's that's hour forty five is a I'm horror a- movie. <laughs> I'm a fan of a 90 minute movie. If you can get your shit done in night, like, like talk to me is the most recent example where I'm like 93 minutes. You got what you needed done. You told even, you even told a mildly slow pace, like character drama in that too. And you still managed to be 90 minutes. Thank God. I just saw, 
I think Exorcist Believer is clocking in at about an hour 50 something at the moment. Okay. And once it hits that hour 50, I'm getting a little bit cautious. I'm getting a little bit, oh, are we going to be too long here? So, but we'll give it a chance. That's how I felt with Blue Beetle a little bit because Blue Beetle clocked in at like two yeah. hours and seven minutes. Yes. And I, I looked back at the previous uh, DC releases and they're all like, between two hours and two hours 25 or something. And I'm like, oh boy. <laughs> I was, yeah, I, I get the same now with just most movies in general, to be honest. And anything that cracks that sort of 150, yeah. I find the sweet spot's like 150 to two hours 15. That's where I'm like, you you either need to commit and yeah. be a long movie or or be be shorter, be snappier. Well, and it's funny, Nick, like we're, we're kind of, this isn't complaining about what we do on the side and stuff with, you know, with movies and everything, but like we go to see a lot of movies. And so if yeah. I have a screen, a, a screening for a movie that maybe I'm like a little tepid on, I'm not sure how I feel about it. I'm like, hmm. how long am I committing to? What is this? Yeah. <laughs> you know? no, and when probably. I see that 93 minutes, oh, sweet spot. <laughs> Oh, God. I think the benefit, right, though, is that guy at the movies has writers. You know, you just give it to someone if you don't feel like it. I think I've just pigeonholed myself into Nick's Flicks Fix. (laughs) Shit, I have to watch it now. I have to go see it. No, but I'm the the same. Like, like we both work full-time jobs outside of this, and it's like you do a a full day's work, you do the 9 to 5, screening starts at 6.30, and you're like two hours and 20 minutes and uh, we'll we'll see how we go the worst the worst is i think the worst will be, always be a three-hour movie there is oh my gosh. i'll never forget having one of the biggest work days of my life and then i had to go see terrence Mad- terrence malick's a hidden life <laughs> oh man that was the toughest and it's not that it was a bad movie but i was sitting there going like if i have to watch 40 minutes of silence if for another 40 minutes, I'm going to lose my goddamn mind. <laughs> Take a little nap halfway through. I understand. <laughs> yeah, I'd wake up and be like, cool, he's still walking through a cornfield. Great. <laughs> I bet he's learned a lot about himself that he hasn't told this to the audience. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I I'm with Terrence today. Malick. I'll say that. <laughs> Just in case he's watching. <laughs> Uh, well, Nick, hey, I know it's late there, but I definitely appreciate you jumping on. And I can't believe it was, it's was it been two years since we had you on before. That has to I can't believe it there. either. We, we talk a lot. And I was <laughs> like, I can't believe we haven't. I was like, hold up a second. I haven't been on the show. But no, man, I really appreciate you having me on. Um, I would stay up at any hour to do it for you. Um, I think what you got going on is absolutely fantastic. I genuinely meant what I said at the beginning of the episode, man. You, you got some awesome stuff happening. You got an awesome team behind you. Uh, you. I'll never be able to replace Sean. But I hope I did an okay job. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, and let's you're doing a lot. We talked about the podcast a little bit. You have you're involved in Nova Stream. You're doing your own stuff with Nick's Flicks Fix and just I don't know how you find the time, but basically you find the time at 1:30 in the morning, I guess. That's, but that's it, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but tell people where they can find you so that we can make sure that they uh, they pop over and see all the awesome stuff you have going on. I would appreciate it. At at NicksFlixFix on Instagram is the best place. That's where all my 60-second video reviews are. But obviously, the link in the bio will take you to NovaStream and uh, the various podcasts that I that I am on. Did you intentionally make a tongue twister when you did NicksFlixFix? Because I, I always try to say it. And I'm like, look. It's, I think it's one of those things where I just like antagonizing people. No, um, I'll, I'll never forget. I, 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 I weirdly say I pitched it to my mom. No, I said to my mom, I pitched this whole concept to my mother. Uh, I said to her, I was like, I'm thinking of calling it Nick's Flicks Fix. And she was like, it's just too much. It can't just be Nick's Flicks. So I typed Nick's Flicks. I'm like, someone's already got it. I was like, guess it's Nick's Flicks Fix now. That's what it's, that's what it's been since 2015. (laughs) 
no rebrands in sight. Not unless, not unless my mother has a has a any last definitive say. <laughs> this is what it is for now. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Well, always good stuff there, Nick. I appreciate you popping on. Always glad, uh, glad to chat with you. We do we do message back and forth a lot. Like, hey, did you see oh. this? What did you think of this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We we I was like exactly how we're talking now. We managed to do very well in text form as well. So I was like. <laughs> We could probably revolutionize a full first text podcast if we wanted to. Oh man! Let's not add. Let's not add anything more to our our plates. Right yeah, now. coming let's, soon though. <laughs> let's Watch not, the and then we'll do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, Nick. Thanks so much. We'll talk soon. See you, man. Appreciate it. The Guy at the Movies podcast is a joint venture between Math Teacher Movies and Guy at the Movies. You can catch new episodes weekly right here, wherever you're listening to this one. Subscribe so you never miss a beat.